Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... We're walking in the fullness of the Spirit. We're going to be a church of people that are full of wisdom, right? We'll know what to do. We'll have power to do the right thing, spirit of understanding. There'll be supernatural understanding that God gives, the spirit of counsel. We'll be able to give direction and counsel and clarity in foggy times, the spirit of power. We won't be a weak, impotent church, but we'll have power to do the things that God has called us to do. The spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. There'll be a fear of God. That's what, if I look, we want to move into a church and say, man, the Holy Spirit is, is alive in that place. Does God know your works? The kind of life you've lived. He knows all about all of us. And he knows the works of your church and the works of all churches. What do you think of when you hear about the end times and the seven churches talked about in Revelation? In today's message... Pastor Bill gives an account of the different conditions of our churches and what they can become, as well as what we must do to make our churches and ourselves ready for the return of the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Church of Sardis. We are today in chapter 3 at the Church of Sardis. Uh, By this point, you guys are seeing that there's things that God says to all the churches Uh, To every church, the way that Christ presents himself to the church has something to do with his message to the church and the condition of that church. Um, And so we'll see with this church, God is going to present himself to a dead church as the one who has the the full working of the spirit. And we'll see that as we get in. But let's look at chapter three, verse one of Revelation. It says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And let me stop there. So first of all, a little bit about Sardis. So remember that these were actual churches. So each of the seven churches was a actual church in Asia Minor. They had pastors and leaders that were pastoring these churches. Um, They also speak to us about an era of church history. But as we look at the church of Sardis, this church actually existed. So first of all, the word Sardis, it means those escaping or renovation. And God is speaking to this church, which we'll find out is the dead church. Sardis, at the time that Jesus wrote this letter or speaking these things, they were a city that it had been awesome. It had been this impregnable, wealthy, rich city with uh, trade routes that came through the city that made them a lot of money. And the way they were positioned were high up. They were impregnable. So people weren't able to get to them to to conquer them or to take them over. So um, they were doing very well for a season. But at the time that Jesus wrote this, they were on the decline. This city that had once been awesome was on the decline. And we'll look at how that became to be that way. So they had been rich. Uh, They had the important trade routes that went through them. The the first coinage ever uh, minted in Asia Minor was minted in this area of Sardis. They were known for their worship of other gods. They were steeped in paganism, so they were wealthy, and they worshipped pagan gods. They worshipped idols, so they had a large temple to one of the goddesses that they worshipped named Sybil. A lot of the worship of their false deities and gods had to do with, in the worship of these gods was sexual perversion. So it wasn't just like, oh, there was another religion, but these religions required participation that was sensual and sinful. And so that was happening in the area of Sardis, 
and they became very comfortable. People hadn't been able to get to them or break through. And so one of the first times their walls were you know, penetrated or someone got through and was successful at coming against them, they had a soldier on the wall. That was his job was to watch the wall. And there was a soldier that was sent to spy out. They were told we to figure out how to get to them. They were soldiers studying. How can we break through Sardis? How can we get through? So one of the soldiers, as he's spying, he watched the soldier on the wall of Sardis, the guard, his helmet fell off and it rolled down the hill. And that soldier went to a secret road to walk down to go and get his helmet. And so the spy realized, oh, wow, there's a secret route to get up there. Well, we thought it was impregnable. There's a secret route. And so they came back that night with a group of soldiers and they went through and that was the first victory that a group had over Sardis. And it went downhill to them for there. And so keep this in mind, right? This is a city that it had been great, but it was on the decline. Some of the, when you look at the people in Sardis, they were wealthy and immoral and relaxed. And if you think about, you know, soldiers, anybody here has ever gone to war, if you go to war, you want to be with somebody disciplined. Amen. If I was to go to war, I want the guy on the night watch when I'm sleeping to actually be awake. I don't want him to be up, fall asleep, eating popcorn and daffodil, whatever, you know. I want him to be awake and alert. I want a disciplined dude. I want somebody that can aim and shoot and kill. I don't want the brother that's going to be falling asleep. We both get killed in our sleep, you know. These were an undisciplined people, relaxed, cocky, arrogant, self-sufficient, money and paganism. And so they were destined for the fall that they had, but there was a church in this area. So that was all going on. But in the midst of all that, there's a church, the church of Sardis. What's the church of Sardis like? We're going to find out in this letter. So Jesus says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis writes. So look at the first thing God says in his presentation of himself to this church. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God. So first of all, how many Holy Spirits are there? Not seven? Good. Praise God. All right. So I just want to make sure that didn't trip you up. Right. So it's one Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. But God presents himself to them as this thing. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God. What is that? If you're writing notes, please write down in your notes. Isaiah chapter 11, verse two. And the number seven in scripture is it speaks to us about what? Completion. So if I could simplify this for you, God is saying I'm coming to you dead church. As the one who has the full working of the complete working of the spirit of God is with me. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, I believe we get a little clarity on what this is talking about. So I'll read it to us real quick. Isaiah eleven two. 2, it says, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so... When Jesus says, look, I'm coming to you guys as the one who has the full working of the spirit of God. Why would that be a way that he would present himself to a dead church? This is what I get from that. God is saying, look, everything you guys need to be alive is in me and it's available through me. I'm presenting myself to you dead church as everything that you needed to be alive. I'm the full working of the spirit of God. And so I want you to pay attention. The Holy Spirit is very important in the life of the church. And There are in some sections of the church misunderstanding and misnomers about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Some people speak of the Holy Spirit as an it. And we know the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a he. Amen. Uh, The Holy Spirit is a he. It's a person. It's not an it. It's not an aura. It's not an essence. It's God, the Holy Spirit. So some people in a church setting would say if the music was really jamming, oh, I really felt the spirit moving. No, you didn't. You heard really good music. 
right? You know, you can go to a secular event and hear really good music and really good singing and feel something, right? Is that the Holy Ghost? It's not. It's just good music. Good music can make you feel something. So don't confuse that because people have done that in the church. And so if you go to a church, it's, oh, man, I was just, oh, if the song was so anointed. No, it was just good singing. I hear Aretha or somebody else, you could, they can sing and hit notes where you're like, man, I felt that. Was that anointing? It's not anointing. It's really good singing, really amazing vocal range. Don't confuse the two. That's what a lot of church has done. And so we call, we attribute to the Holy Spirit and call anointed that which is talent. And so then we raise up in the church talent, and but it's not anointed. It's not filled with the Spirit. It's not even dedicated to God. It's just very talented. And then we have concerts and, and we have church becomes very entertaining, but lacking in a real work of the Holy Spirit. As you look at that list in Isaiah, well, what's the work of the Holy Spirit do, right? The Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of wisdom. If we're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, we're going to be a church of people that are full of wisdom, right? We'll know what to do. We'll have power to do the right thing. Spirit of understanding. There'll be supernatural understanding that God gives a spirit of counsel. We'll be able to give direction and counsel and clarity in foggy times, the spirit of power. We won't be a weak, impotent church, but we'll have power to do the things that God has called us to do, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. There'll be a fear of God. That's what, if I look, we want to move into a church and say, man, I, the Holy Spirit is, is alive in that place. We're looking for believers to be in this kind of situation. Amen. This is also what I want us to understand, and we'll move on from the Holy Spirit. When the believers, Jesus spent all this time with the believers in the gospel, the, the early, those that first followed Jesus, the early disciples. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit until toward the end in the gospel of John. And it says that Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So that's when the believers were first indwelled. Holy Spirit dwelled in them. But then that same group of people, after Jesus had died on the cross, rose from the grave and Right before he ascended into heaven and they were in Jerusalem huddled up and waiting for instruction, Jesus said, you guys wait because you're not ready to go as you are. In Acts 1.8, he says, wait here. You guys wait here in Jerusalem until the spirit of God comes upon you. And when the spirit comes upon you, then you will have power to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You guys know that? Acts 1.8. Jesus says, you guys aren't ready to go yet. I know you've been with me for three years. I know I've taught you for three years. I know you're indwelled by the Spirit, but you are not ready to go plant a church. You're not ready to go do the work I've called you to do. You need to wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's a second experience. There's three things the Holy Spirit does, with, in, and upon. Before you get saved, he's with you to open your blind eyes and soften your hard heart and bring about the initial conviction that you need Jesus. So everybody here to get saved, no matter who preached the message, the Holy Spirit helped you get saved. Y'all know that? Praise God, right? So after you get saved, the Holy Spirit, the moment you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit is no longer with you. Now he's in you. But in the third experience that we see in Acts 1-8 is the Holy Spirit comes upon you and empowers you to be a witness, to be who God called you to be. And so to this church, who ends up being a dead church, Jesus says, look, I'm the one with the full working of the Spirit. I'm the one that promised the Holy Spirit. I'm the one that I said, when I leave, it's going to be better because now I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you and in you and everything you're going to need to do the work. He's going to, the Holy Spirit will be God himself living inside every believer. You guys know in this church, nobody here would be holy if the Holy Spirit didn't indwell you, that none of us would be holy on our own. Some of y'all have the Holy Spirit in you. You be fighting them. You knock them out for a day and be unholy anyway. And so the work of sanctification, it couldn't happen. We ain't that people. We need help. Amen. So God tells his church, 
These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We learn in Revelation 120 that the seven stars were the seven pastors or elders of these churches. I have the seven pastors. I have the full working of the spirit and I have the leaders. Everything we need to have a jamming church, everything we need to be effective and, and alive, I have it. And here's the thing that I thought was interesting. That it, it's possible for God to have people, right? But then they don't have everything God wants for them to have. There are people that are saved. God, they believe. They're here. They're like, I believe. I receive. God has me. But God can't do with me what he wants. I'm not, I won't walk in the fullness of the spirit. I won't yield to the spirit of God. I belong, but I haven't gone further than belonging. I want you to know that that's not what you want to do. We want to go beyond belonging. God possesses you for a purpose. And so when God puts his hand upon you, God saves you, know that he saves you for a purpose. How many guys up here have ever had a car that was broken down? A broke down car. Okay, so a broke down car is a frustrating thing because somebody driving by your house will say, you got a car. You can get, you can get where you got, but you like, but it won't start though, you know, or, or I know if it starts, it'll just only go one block and it's going to go clank, 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 and it's going, you know, I have a car. But I can't do what people do that have cars because my car is broke. Something's wrong on the inside. From the outside, everything looks okay. But you know it's broke. That's some believers. From the outside, did he go to church? He's a Christian. He said he was a Christian. He got a Bible and everything. But God can't do with you what he wants to do. That You won't just yield to God. My prayer as we continue through this, even this message today, that God would both have us and be able to do with us everything he desires. That we wouldn't be dead believers, that we'd be very much alive through him. And we're going to learn how to do that. So let's, let's keep going. So he says what he says to all seven churches, I know your works. He says it seven times. He says it to each church. And it's important every time he says it, Jesus says, look, I know your works. I know everything that you're doing. I know, I know what you do, when you do it, why you do it, how you do it. I know your work. I'm intimately aware of everything that you do. And again, I'll say this every time. This will rub each person different. So if you're someone that's serving and just ministering and doing what you're called to, God is saying, look, I haven't missed a single thing. You should be encouraged. If you're someone that serves and you do things and it's not seen and it's not known, God says, I haven't missed a thing. I haven't missed a day of service. I haven't missed one act, one heartfelt thing that you've done. I see everything that you do. The one who brings the reward is saying, I know your works. So Anybody here that's serving God, it's important that we do the work that we do for God as unto the Lord. Don't do it for men because you will, you will be let down. If you serve for men, you might not get thanked. You might not feel appreciated. They might not even acknowledge. You cannot serve God for people's sake. So uh, even in the ministry as you serve, some of you say, oh, I just love people. You need to love God. Because if you do it for people, when you get sick of people, you won't do it right no more. It's got to always be as unto the Lord. It'll safeguard you from letdown, disappointment, and from putting out when things get tough, as unto the Lord. And so God says, I know your works. Now, if you're not doing well, if your works are evil, if you're living a double life, God would say, hey, I know. You're not getting away with anything. I know your works. To this church, God saying, I know your works is not a good thing. To the church of Smyrna, when God said, I know your works, it was a good thing. God was saying to that persecuted group of believers, I know everything about you. I see you guys hanging there. Later on, the church of Philadelphia, when he says, I know your works, it's going to be a good thing. This church, there is no commendation. So far, the pattern has been if there's anything commendable about the church, Jesus will give them the commendation first. And then if there are things in need correction, he will give them the correction second. And then he always, with the correction, gives a remedy. This is what you can do to get it right. Well, I want you to note that to this church, after Jesus says, I know your works, he goes right into corrections because there's nothing commendable about them. 
This should speak to us because to a dead church, Jesus says, I have nothing good to say about you. That, that Just marinate on that for a minute. Every one of us one day is going to stand before God. You know that? Hebrews 9, 27 says it's appointed a man wants to die. And after this, the judgment, we will give an account before the Lord. And I don't think anybody here wants to stand before God and he have nothing good to say. I mean, not one. I mean, God, you know everything about me. I, I know some people that may just don't like you. And they just I'm just now have nothing good to say. about. But God, who knows every if God have nothing good to say about you, that means ain't nothing good about you. That's sad. This church here, he says, I got nothing good to say. I have no commendation for you. I have nothing. There is nothing that you are doing that I want you to continue to do. May that not be true for a single one of us. And if it be true, then he'll give the remedy, which is to repent. And I'll tell you right now so you can prepare your heart that we would repent of that. He says, look, first thing, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. I know your works, he says, you have a name. So in public, you have a name. People see you as alive. This church wasn't a empty church with broke down building and nothing going on. It was they were jamming. They had programs. They probably had things going on seven days a week. They had lots of activity, but they were dead as far as God was concerned. Uh, I think it was Billy Graham or I think it was him that said, if the Holy Spirit were to be removed from the church, there are some churches where everything that they're still doing would keep going because they're not doing anything in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of churches that function that way. Lots of activities, lots of things that men have construed and created and made. And it looks good on the surface, but God would say, I'm not involved in any of that. Y'all haven't prayed. You aren't seeking me for power. Everything that you're doing, you're doing in the energy of the flesh and the strength. And so to this church, God says, look, I know your works. You have a name that you're alive, but I'm telling you, God Almighty is saying that you're dead. And if God says you're dead, guess what? You're dead. So here's what we want to learn from this. We don't want to be a place and we don't want to be a people that have convinced others that there's life when there's not life before God. What have you gained? If you fool everybody into thinking you're an amazing Christian and God Almighty is looking down saying, you ain't even alive, bro. Or sis, you're not even alive. Like, what have you gained if you convince people? And I think that that's a trap that happens in Christian circles, that people learn how to be fake. A lot of Christians are fake. A lot of church people are fake. Sometimes church culture encourages that kind of behavior where we encourage people to kind of fake the funk. I've even heard people say stuff like, you know, you got to fake it till you make it, stuff like that. The Bible knows nothing of that sort of mindset. We shouldn't be fake. Let's say you're doing terrible in your walk with the Lord. You're sinning and you're struggling. And if some brother or sister in the church that loves you comes and say, hey, bro, how you doing in your walk with the Lord? It would be better for you to say, if I be honest, bro, I'm struggling. I am sinning in this way. I'm not being faithful to the Lord at all. I'm barely in the word. I am, I am doing really bad and I want to do better. I need help. Would you pray for me? Would you share with me? Would you? That brother has got more hope to be turned around than the person over here that's living the same life. And you say, brother, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. God is good. Hallelujah. Whoopie wham wham. Verses on the quote. God, praise God. You can't help. We don't even know that he needs prayer. We're like, man, I wish I could be more like him. And God is looking and saying, no, you don't. (laughs) You don't want to be more like him. Interesting that Jesus said about the Pharisees, they travel the world to make one proselyte. And when they do, they make him twice the son of hell that they are. They master the art of outwardly, you know, looking the part. But Jesus said, look, on the outside, you guys have white sepulcher on the outside, but it's inside you're full of what? Dead man's bones. God doesn't confront you about your sin to condemn you ever. That's not what he does. God's saying, look, I want to reveal it 
So you can stop it because he's going to give the remedy. You can repent of it. We can have a real relationship if you just stop that. So maybe you've gotten good at faking. Today would be a great day to cash that in. Just say, you know what? I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to act like I'm doing better than I'm doing. I'm going I'm to say how I'm actually doing. Y'all know that this is a safe place to do that? If you don't know it, I want you to know it. Our church is a safe place to say, I'm struggling in my walk with the Lord. Whatever it is, if it's true, just you need to say it and get prayer and get counsel. There are people here that are going to love you, pray for you, counsel you, and hopefully see you walk into a place where there's victory in your walk. I have personally watched people. I wouldn't name them because I don't want to embarrass them. But there are people in this church that I've met and I've talked to. When I, when I met them and we said, how are you doing? They just went, blah, all this sin. Okay, that's where we're starting from. But at least I'm starting with a person that's saying I'm going to be real. Doesn't matter what the sins are. Doesn't matter what the issues are. This person said, blah, here's everything. I need help. And I've watched. There's some of them serving here. I won't name them. But they're here and they're serving and they're doing well. And God has taken them beyond where they were because they were real about what was going on. And you know what's sad to say? There are people that have been around just as long and just kind of riding under the radar. Doing great. Unfruitful. Not moving forward. Don't be that. He says to them again, um, I know your works that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. So while there's lots of service and lots of things that living Christians do, there isn't any real life. And so we want to be careful about adding Christian service to a sinful life. That's what some people do. I'm not going to change my life and give God what he really wants, but I'll make up the difference in serving. You know, you can't serve enough to make up for a rebellious life. If you're writing notes, write down Matthew 7, 21 to 23, and we'll look real quickly at a group of people that were serving in uh, powerful ways, yet they don't even go to heaven when it's all over with. In Matthew 7, 21, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but... He who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, 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 have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And notice Jesus never says, no, you didn't. They were prophesying, casting out demons and doing many wonders in the name of Jesus. Then he says to them, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus says, man, while y'all were serving y'all butts off, y'all weren't even saved. I don't even know you. What would motivate a person to be prophesying, casting out demons and doing many wonders, and they not even they won't even stop sinning? They haven't even done the first thing, which is repent. Don't add to a sinful rebellion life Christian service. Not going to get you where you want to go. Here's the crazy thing, that maybe these non-believers were used to lead other people to Christ, but they're not even going. They may have filled some seats in heaven themselves while they're not going to make it themselves. What a shame. And that's what faking it will get you. I think God will use people despite them. I would like to go. I don't just want y'all to go. I want to go with you as well. So, But that happens. That's Matthew 7. And God is saying, look, look at what happens when you add Christian service to a sinful life. He says, you've never stopped sinning. You who practice law, you guys are still in habitual disobedience. So look, if you're here and there's habitual rebellion and sin in your life, you should repent today. You're not in a good space. If you can go on in habitual, regular, ongoing sin against God while going to church, that's not, you're not good. That's not, you're not in a good place with the Lord. God calls us to repent. He offers to forgive and God will bring about true transformation to everybody that comes to him. But you do got to come and you got to come his way. We don't want to fake it and fake it and all, make it all the way to the end, look like everybody else, and then we don't even make it ourselves. We, just, we were just good fakes. We want to be good for real. We want to be transformed 
for real. I want to be a Christian for real. I want to be born again for real, not just appear like, not just put on the the trappings of a Christian. I, I want to actually be one. And that's my exhortation to all of us that we got to examine our own selves. If you are faking something, you know it. And may nobody may know it but you. You've been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Revelation, this book is entirely fascinating, if not a little bit confusing. But don't get distracted by all the strange things mentioned and lose sight of the fact that Jesus is showing himself in a mighty way through this book. The description of Jesus in this book sounds like some fierce, ultimate superhero, someone you would want to follow but might be a little afraid of, too. But Jesus is coming to redeem a broken world. Some of the ways God will go about doing this may not be fully understandable from our perspective, but that's okay. It's still worth studying and eagerly anticipating the fact that He's coming to make all things new. What a relief. If you'd like to hear this message again, or listen to more messages from our Revelation series, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you have some questions that you'd like answered or need someone to talk to, we're happy to speak with you and try to answer those questions. Just call 310-245-4811. Once more, that phone number is 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today in the book of Revelation. We look forward to our next edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill. Make sure you tune in for the upcoming message as you're sure to learn more from this intriguing book of the Bible here on A Transforming Word.